Hannah Young, and you're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Isnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning and good afternoon and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world, welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, Toby Usnick. Today, my guest is Ryan Black. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Samazon, which is an acronym for Sustainable Management of the Brazilian Amazon. It's a company which he co-founded in 2000 with his brother, Jeremy, and a friend, Edmund Skanda Nichols. Samazon is the industry leader and pioneer in acai and the first brand to bring the Brazilian superfruit from the Amazon to the United States. After experiencing his first acai bowl on a surf trip, trip in Brazil, he saw an opportunity to create and share delicious and nutritious acai-based products with people across the world while pioneering a socially and environmentally conscious business model. And we're going to talk about that today. So Ryan Black, welcome to The Caring Economy. Thank you so much, Toby. Looking forward to our discussion. You've got so many aspects in your bio that I, I want to trickle through today versus just reading it out at the top. But have you give us like a digest of Ryan Black's life, where he grew up, how he found his path, maybe some pivots. I grew up um, as a, uh, a you know young kid here in Southern California, um, Orange County. You know, older brother Jeremy, who you mentioned, and and kind of single mom, and um, we moved around a little bit. Uh, ended up um, from the beach moving to Arizona. Arizona, I I really kind of fell in love with you know, not just say skateboarding, but also in football, you know, it was something that I excelled in. And I think the, uh, you know, the father figure of the football coaches really sort of drew me in and I love the discipline of the game. And so I really focused on that for a while. Um, I also, you know, in fifth grade, uh, at the elementary school, um, we did the, you know, you study us history in fifth grade, uh, at least you did at, during this time. And we did the patriotic pageant where you had, you know, people playing George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and different people in history. Well, I played Martin Luther King Jr. And I gave the I have a dream speech. And I don't know why, but, you know, it really touched me, you know. And so it's kind of this I think it is relevant for my story is that from a very young age, I felt this sort of uh, pull to social justice I don't know, fighting for the underdog, fighting for the, the 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 poor man, fighting for truth and right and things like that. And uh, it's interesting because, as we'll talk about later, acai is, is it's actually the poor man's fruit in Brazil. Oh. Um, now, we've turned it into a superfood because of its amazing sort of, you know, nutritional properties, but really is the, the common man's fruit in the Amazon rainforest. You know, grew up, had the ability to um, to go to the University of Colorado at Boulder um, to play football, which was a big football program. I probably ha had very little business being there, to be honest, but I had this kind of strange connection um, with the coach and um, was able to go there as a walk-on, earned a scholarship against all odds, let's just say, and ended up doing really well in college football. Um, which gave me an opportunity to play afterwards. I was signed as a free agent with the, the Minnesota Vikings, but I always joke that the NFL stands for not for long. So that was a quick <laughs> that was a quick experience. Um, but then I had the ability to actually go and play in Italy, um, which later on uh, helped. You know, that experience helped me with foreign languages. It helped me with you know different cultures and giving you sort of that that other perspective of of not just being um, in the U.S. of A. After my uh, Italian football experience, um, I had uh, been dating. A, a, I met a Brazilian girl and and started dating her, and 
and decided that going to uh, Brazil for the millennium, you know, 1999, 2000 was a great idea. Um, so myself and my co-founder Edmund uh, and and my my girlfriend Fernanda, we we went down to the to the to Brazil, not to the Amazon, but to the beaches, uh, Sao Paulo in the north of Brazil. Mm-hmm. And um, it was there that I had uh, my first bowl of acai after a surf trip. It's actually true. Um, after a, a surf flavor blew me away. I, you know, I think when you're traveling in foreign countries and you find something that you you like, it, it, you know, you want to have it over and over again. It's a bit addictive. You know, I was told that that's what the you know the professional athletes, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters, were training with, and the the um, you know the surfers and all that. So I was like, wow, this is like the cool functional food in Brazil. And I I was you know I was still an athlete, and so. Um, I, I was drawn to that. I went home with this idea, Edmund and I, that like we were gonna, you know, take this this product to the United States. Um, found out that it was frozen and that you know we could we could get that done. Um, but I'd already committed to going back to Europe and playing one more season of football. This time was just outside of Paris, France, and uh, again helped me with culture, helped me with language, which you know, ten years later, twenty years later, has really helped um, Samazon as a business. Um, expand into international markets um, just because of having this living abroad experience and you know speaking my broken French Italian Spanish and and pretty good Portuguese now sort of in all these places around the world it's really been uh, interesting people ask me um, obviously acai was already quite popular in Brazil but but for me I guess I was the the gringo the the the, the foreigner that brought it to the United States and people say oh how did you know Tell us the story of how you found acai a little bit and or discovered it or something like that. You know, it was quite popular, as I said, in Brazil. So I don't know if I discovered it, but, it, you know, looking back on it all, um, you know, going to the University of Colorado Boulder, which is a very liberal school, it's 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 all about organics. Um, I mean, not the school itself, but the city Boulder is very, you know, organic friendly. A lot of the natural foods companies come out of Boulder, if you will. And I had this sort of half jock, half hippie background with a finance degree and an international sort of flavor to me. Um, and so when I found Asai, so to speak, Asai found me, so to speak, and we sort of came together and, and um, started what has been a, a pretty amazing 23-year um, experience. And, um, you know, my co-founders, um, my partners uh, have, have certainly um, done uh, much of the heavy lifting, um, yeah. which I sometimes get the credit for. But, um yeah, that's kind of how how it all started. Um, my, you know, both with my background and how that led into yeah. um, this this journey of Samazon. It's sort of a precursor for Coach Ted Lasso. It sounds like <laughs> to Europe and play football. Love that show. Love that show. Yeah, it is. You know, I work for the British Consulate. The Brits don't like it so much. But the Americans love it. <laughs> we love it. Um, so I also, I mean, my mom remarried, but my mom was a widow with five boys when we were very young. And I wonder what it was like for you. How important was that? And do you think your upbringing, finding your purpose, having a, a single mom raise you and your brother? I think as you get older and older, you know, you you realize like how much of an effect that situation had on you, whether for good or for bad or whatever. Um, on, on You know, on the good side, it it taught us to be, my brother and I, to be entrepreneurial at a very young age. You know, it was hey, here's, you know, here's five bucks, go, you know, go find yourself dinner or something like that. And not, you know, not that that was a bad thing. Um, you have, you know, fantastic mother who, um, 
has just you know been amazing and still um, actually works with us here at the company. Does does a lot. We didn't have a lot of money, but at the same time, you know, never you know missed a meal or anything like that. You know, taught me the value of money. Um, and so as, again, as an entrepreneur, um, making every dollar you know count for two. These these sort of things. It, it really helped me. You know, from that um, perspective. Um, I think also the football. You know, um, making you know you know, quick decisions in a high paced environment sort of thing. And being like being the team captain, which I was um, really also helped with the sort of the leadership. So sort of these, these combinations of what, you know, your, your, your family, as well as your extracurricular activities really did shape, you know, who, who I am today. Um, and yeah. Amazon as well. How, tell us a little bit about it. Cause you follow the triple bottom line model. So coming out of um, Boulder in 1998 and, having a couple, you know, a couple years of football after that, when Edmund and I um, started researching into acai, we found a couple interesting things. One was that, as I mentioned, it has this, you know, sort of amazing chemical composition where uh, it doesn't have any sugar in it uh, on its own. And it has 50%, you know, lipids fat. Um, so it's really like a, and a little protein and a bunch of fiber. So it's like, it builds your body up. What I also found was, as I mentioned before, that this fruit grew in the wild uh, in the Amazon rainforest on a on a 30 foot tall palm tree um, it was extremely abundant right and it was the local growers I should call them because they're not really farming they're more like managing um, that were surviving on this both from uh, that they could eat it and then they could also sell it right mm -hmm. and this by the way is the same tree that the heart of palm comes from oh. um, and so in the you know, 70s and 80s, there was growth in the heart of palm industry, which created the beginnings of the capacitation of this supply chain, if you will. But um, anyway, so so as we were looking deeper into this product coming from the wild in the Amazon and, you know, thousands and thousands of people, there's about a million people in the Amazon rainforest that work in the acai chain, if you will, either as growers or logistics or whatever. And this is, you know, the poor of the poor, extreme poverty. Um what we found, uh, what, what I saw actually was Greenpeace came out that it said that acai is the most important non-timber forest product in terms of money for the entire Amazon rainforest. And I was like, whoa, right? Like this is a eco product that mm -hmm. because of its mainstream appeal, flavor, you know, um, beauty and, and abundance, could in fact, if it was done the right way, it could be like the world's first mainstream eco product, right? Mm -hmm. It had all the things because because typically what you had was maybe big companies that were trying to go green or eco, and they're like the Titanic trying to turn around, you know, sort of thing. Very difficult. Or you had like handicrafts. You had you did have products in the local communities, but they were they weren't like big scalable things. And I was like, whoa, this acai thing, it has the appeal, it has the quant, the volume, all of these things. And so I started doing my homework um and and reading everything I could get my hands on in terms of sustainable business, read, you know, Paul Hawken and the and and you know natural capitalism and read about Anita Roddick in the body shop read about Ben and Jerry's um, and how maybe their product wasn't an eco or healthy product, but they were social activists, right? Still and, and, I just, and, and I came upon uh, a term created by, I believe it was the economist John Elkington, if I got that right, um, called the triple bottom line. And we all know that the bottom line of the company is like the profit line. And 
if you don't, you know, if you don't have profit, you don't, you know, and you don't have an end ever ending supply of cash, which no one does, then, you know, your business will, will fail. So everybody talks about the bottom line, the bottom line. But this economist introduced this idea of a triple bottom line, which not only measured success economically, but it also measured it socially with um, the people who are involved and all the stakeholders in the chain, um, and also environmentally um, with uh, obviously the biodiversity of the forest and 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 the air and the water and and everything that's sort of in, in included in the environment. So again, as a as a 25-year-old social entrepreneur, I was fired up to go out and create a triple bottom line company from day one, you know, that would measure our success in all three of these lenses, if you will. And, and uh, you know, again, as a uh, as an underdog, undersized, um, you know, uh, football player, um, no, no challenge was was great enough for me. So I, I really thought that um, making profit is one thing, but making triple bottom line profit is a whole nother thing. And, you know, sign, sign me up for that. So we, you know, we dedicated ourselves from the very beginning um, to not only worrying about our own sort of economic profit, but really socially and environmentally. And what, it, what does that mean day to day? You know, um, that How's means things like um, long before we were a profitable company, we were already investing in our um, in the social environmental aspects of our business, which finally, when we started making profit, which took us, you know, the better part of a decade, we were proud of that triple bottom line profit. And we felt proud that we didn't cut any corners, exploit any portion of the, of the chain, if you will, mm -hmm. um, in order to be a successful, profitable company. Um, I think that's, you know, that's, that's yeah. one of the things we're most proud of. Can, can you give us a sense of scale today, how big you are, either on sales or markets you reach or employee population? We're well over $100 million uh, company are selling, believe it or not, in 50 different countries around the globe. You know, it's not always about quantity. It's about quality. We have four, we have five of our own retail locations, which is something that I'm quite excited about expanding to in the in the in the future. And are you, are you uh, using distributors or do you have a large employee population? How, how do you sort of, what's your staffing like? In Brazil, um, the growers that we work with are not our employees. We, we purchase raw acai berries from them. Okay. In a direct model. And we should, you know, I'll touch on that a little bit. Um, and, and then, you know, the factories are our employees. Um, and as we go up the chain, then, of course, you know, here in the United States, you know, 100 plus employees in the United States, sales, marketing, operations, finance. Um, and then um, in some of our own stores we do. And then, you know, as we're starting to license and franchise our stores, those are through partnerships. You know, taking two steps back, right, um, making Acai the world's first mainstream eco product. Now, when when we arrived on the scene in, you know, early 2000. Um, what we found was that uh, acai was a cottage industry that I mentioned kind of came out of the heart of Palm. And it was really the these Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighters who I mentioned. And there's a family of, of them who really are the name in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's called the Gracie family. And I always credit them with, they're the ones who really brought acai out of the forest. They had family who lived up in the north of Brazil and they live down in Rio de Janeiro. And so they brought this product that is consumed at room temperature 
I don't know, like applesauce with fish and with meat. They brought it down to Rio de Janeiro, which is kind of like from even further than, say, New York to Miami sort of thing. Probably yeah. be New York to Puerto Rico or something, right? Like that kind of distance. They brought it down to Rio de Janeiro. And to bring it down, they had to freeze it, right? So they, they brought it down to, to Rio where it's hot and it's tropical. And then they started making it, putting different concoctions in it and came up with this like sugar mix with with guarana which is like this caffeine spike if you will and created this like functional food it's like a smoothie in a bowl that you put yeah, stuff on it that's that. what became an acai bowl and and that was in the 90s only in the 90s and so overnight you went from this cottage industry that was doing heart of palm which by the way when you take the heart of palm you kill the tree you got to cut the tree down to all of a sudden the berries on the tree, the acai berries, um, are this renewable resource that regenerates every year and, um, you know, every crop season. And so all of a sudden, this overnight that there was a gold rush or a purple, purple gold rush in the Amazon. And so a cottage industry just, you know, went went through the roof. And so when I showed up in 2000, there was very little um, quality control. Nobody is pasteurizing the product as an example. It's coming from the, the trees to the forest floor into somebody's um, backyard factory, even, you know, being kind of washed off and then processed and then put in a bag and sent down to Rio de Janeiro. Like the, you know, the microbiology and things like that wasn't exactly at the standard that you would need to create like a, a global business or even an exported business, right? Yeah. It didn't, didn't exist. So there didn't, really exist any quality control standards or industrial standards with the product let alone social or environmental standards they didn't they didn't exist honestly and um you know in my first you know year there what i learned was that the acai comes from the growers on the tree to the guy with the, the canoe to the guy with the boat and then it shows up at like a a, a local um, on the river market, sort of like a swap meet in the concrete or the dirt or whatever. And then there you would have people, processors with stainless steel equipment who would buy from the market, process and then sell. And so who they were selling to was me. I, I, I showed up and said, who's making acai? Oh, there's some processors here. Okay, let's go talk to a processor. And, and so I started talking to a processor and even started buying product from a processor. Um, and and actually two processors. And, and I asked them both the same question separately, which was what's happening at the farm level with the growers and the communities and the trees and the biodiversity of the forest. And they both gave me the same answer, which was, I have no idea. You know? Exactly. I was going to say right? that. No yeah. idea. And, and so no, you know, no traceability, no chain of custody, no, no nothing. Right. And so again, what, what I had been learning about was, you want to, you know, I have this this belief that that we could shape an industry and we could create standards and and so um, and we could create a chain, but you couldn't do that without traceability in the supply chain, right? It didn't exist um, or it wasn't possible. And so um, we took some funds uh, of our own that we normally use for growing or marketing or whatever it might be, and we went and donated to some local NGOs in Brazil with the help of some bigger NGOs as well. And we created, and we brought down organic systems certifiers and we created the first organic systems plan for acai in the region. And, and it was directly with the forest growers 
communities and 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 some co-ops. So you got to know the growers and see what their reality was. And was it just a full spectrum of experiences or was it largely impoverished people? Was it a monopoly? How, how was it in reality? Um, complete opposite of a monopoly, completely uh, like, I guess it would be diversified, right? Um, no, you know, no big agribusinesses, of course, N nothing at all. Number one. Number two, definitely poverty. Um, and the but the communities had different needs. Some had healthcare needs. Some had educational needs. You know, some had all of the above sort of thing. And and we sort of from that moment in in two thousand two two thousand three started working directly with the forest communities and said to ourselves, we're going to do it a different way. We're gonna we're gonna establish this direct model. Um, and 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 eventually, what has happened now? You know, for twenty years now since we made that move. Every single year, we get closer with those communities about what their needs are, how to help them, how to support them. And they, in turn, not only get technical assistance, uh, monet, you know, so financial support, training, all kinds of things like that. They also get, which, you know, touched me later on in, in, in our journey, you know, they have a sense of pride now that their product is sure. going and 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 they know where it's going by the way they know that it's going into Amazon's you know um supply chain and ending up in the supermarket at whole foods or where, wherever it might be right whereas before they would put it on their dock they would sell it to um the next guy in the chain which maybe the next guy in the chain with the boat maybe he's offering a good price maybe he's offering a bad price maybe it's a take it or leave it right so there's this opportunity for exploitation through all this middleman. So we came in and after our organic um, systems certification plan, we then brought in fair trade systems and established fair trade certification. So we were not only um, addressing the environmental aspects of the supply chain, but we we're also addressing the social aspects of the supply chain, minimum wages, things like that. And so from, you know, at the time, again, two, 2002, 2003, you know, at that time I was 26, 27, whatever, you know, we didn't have factories or anything in Brazil. Um, but a year later, we decided that that was the right move for us. And so we built our own manufacturing plant. And so, you know, we, we always tell our, our our customers that since 2005, then, you know, the, the product goes from the forest growers to us, to you, and there's nobody else in between. And as you know, Toby, with, um, anything you do, you do it every day, every week, every month, every year, you get better at it. 20 year overnight success in, 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 you know, acai supply chain management and triple bottom line success, if you will. Ladies and gentlemen, again, today on the hearing economy, we have Ryan Black with us. He's the chief executive officer of Samazon, which is an acronym for the sustainable management of the Brazilian Amazon, a company which he co-founded in 2000 with his brother and friend. Ryan, can you say, you know, Brazil gets somewhat deservedly, I think, a bad rap for many things, governance issues, political issues, um, exploitation of the Amazon, certainly rainforest. How do you stay afloat? How do you deal with, I'm sure you've seen a lot of the underbelly of Brazil, as well as the good and the people. How do you, how do you keep yeah. that all going? Um, <laughs> it's a good question. You know, how do you, you, you just do it, man. You, you, you just do it. You keep it all going. Um, we've been very blessed to have um, great partners and mentors um, in Brazil. Um, people that we've, um, you know, hired and, um, and, and we've found and have found us 
that have really kept our um, our feet on the ground with, you know, head in the clouds, but feet on the ground mm -hmm. um, and protected us um, in, you know, a, a whole gauntlet of issues that have come up over the years of building a business in Brazil from, um, you know, tax and financial issues to environmental issues to crime and, and all of the things that, that come along with doing business um, in foreign countries and, and, and in the third world. You know, mm -hmm. I can say that um, the thing that um, I fell in love with the most when I went to Brazil the first time actually was not acai. It was Brazil and Brazil's people and Brazil's spirit and um, the the vibration, if you will, the vibe of the positivity that was coming out of this culture that didn't matter um, if, um, you know, the the person, you know, if a, if a person was poor or didn't have, you know, much to, to put together, they have this, there's a word for it in, in Portuguese, it's called alegria, and it means joy, you mm -hmm. know, and, and the, so the Brazilian um, culture um, has such a joy to them that um, if it didn't, it would be a very different um, scenario, right? Yeah. But that joy, that positivity um, uh, and alegria is something that has overshadowed every challenge or um uh issue that we that we've had i mean that's that that's the fact and and we've been uh you know honestly honored and proud to um to represent brazil in in this way and has and and brazilians both in brazil and around the world um they're very uh let's just say proud and nostalgic of of sambazon because we're trying our very best to do it the right way, you know, yeah. and to not cut any corners and and support the people and support the environment and be um, really good news for Brazil, you know, out of Brazil in a time when, you know, there's, there's, you know, you hear a lot about if it's corruption or the Amazon or, or you know, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. Brazil always talks about two things. One, always, they always say Brazil is the oh. country of the future, you know, and it is in so many ways. I think the youth of the of Brazil is really turned on like from an eco standpoint, you know, nature. And they also have a saying that says, Deus Brasileiro, which means God is Brazilian, you know? And it's, um, it's in some ways it's true. If you ever get to visit Brazil, you you know what I mean. There's just yeah. beauty in every direction that you look. Yeah, there's pride. I've only been there once, but as you say, very proud people and a beautiful people. So when you go out to the rest of the world, I'm imagining as a global business, um, I'm going to guess that Europe is probably the strictest and hardest to import export with or is it the US or what sort of lessons have you gleaned there in terms of running a global business um you know lucky for me acai is a frozen product and it is uh like for us and and, and it's you know it's organic certified in our case and so importation of that product uh in you know into the United States or even into into Europe is is really easy to be honest um there are certain countries that are extremely, you know, difficult, probably not to throw them under the bus, but the hardest one has been Indonesia, um, probably a five year uh, process with the equivalent of the FDA to actually import goods. And, you know, you're tied to who you import it with for eternity or, you know, th those sort of things. So, um, yeah, that that hasn't been too difficult um, in our um you know, journey in terms of like importation or regulation. What has definitely been harder is, um, you know, 
teaching somebody about a product that they've never heard of that they can barely pronounce, you know, acai, it's a kai, it's a sai, it's acai, it's, you know, it's all those things. I actually saw, um, it's funny on, uh, uh, on the news here in California, a couple months ago, there was this thing that said like the most mispronounced words in America. Number one was acai, you know? So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited that it's made That's it famous. to the mainstream level. Um, yeah. but you know, that that has been more difficult dealing with a wild harvested fruit, which is highly perishable, which grows at the top of a big tree. Um, that's been much more difficult than getting it across the border. Yeah. I'm sure you own a couple of TikTok channels. It's a great place to explore. <laughs> um, I, I'm mindful of our time. I, I want to ask you one thing tangential to the business, which is the 501c3 that you started. It's uh, threaty.org. Is that how you say it? The tree. Yeah, the tree. The tree. Yeah, the tree. The, yeah, the tree um, is a as a a group that started um, a decade over a decade ago, and when I found that um, myself and some of our natural foods um, partners and brothers and sisters, really companies, we were doing a lot together, and we figured that we could actually be even more consumer facing together, and so um, we started pre COVID. We started doing um, events together you know, homeless outreach together, environmental uh, habitat restorations and, and beach cleanups and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and then we started working um, on, on a few different other projects, but COVID kind of killed some of that, which is very difficult, honestly. And so we pivoted a bit into creating a, a consumer app because, um, you know, a lot of the world, certainly the youth is on their phone. So we've been working on developing a, a consumer app that, um, People can, you know, vote with their dollars, um, you know, sort of, you know, you can, if you're on the platform, you can participate and get points um, that lead to different prizes from the companies and things like that. But it's still, um, it's it's still a bit of a ways away um, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the development, but um, it's been a great experience. And, you know, I hope that um, as time goes on, I get to um, share that with more people. Okay. And people can check it out at uh, thetri.org, the tree.org, right? That's right. Um, two last questions. One is, I know you're a surfer. It sounds like lifelong surfer. Um, what is it about surfing that uh, is your sort of joy? Surfing. Yeah, surfing's amazing. Um, you know, there, there's a saying that says only a surfer knows the feeling. Um, and it's it's just one of these things. And And maybe when you're you know, hauling butt down a ski hill or or something like that. It's it's almost like that, but being on a surfboard on your feet with the power of the wave behind you um, is a very in amazing connection with nature. You yeah. know, it, it just is. And, um, you know, uh, going out and being in the sunshine and uh, typically sunshine, it's, it's, it's a much better experience when the water's warm and the, and the sun is shining, you know, being out there uh, with your friends, you know, having having fun surfing, uh, not to mention sort of the 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 just the time away from you know uh, the day to day, if you will. Yeah. It's it's a really sort of meditative experience, and um, there's also like a, you know, there's no bad days in surfing. I mean, maybe if you break your board in half, but that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. I mean, uh, I actually went surfing yesterday um, with uh, or two days ago with a with a friend, and the and the the water was freezing here in Southern California and the, um, and the, the waves were tiny. Um, but I tell you what, you get out of the, you get out of the water, you're feeling 
fresh, it's clean, it's beautiful. And, mm-hmm. and it just starts your day uh, off in, in, in a way that almost nothing else can. Um, and I think that's why uh, it's becoming more and more popular. They also have a saying that says the best surfer is the one who's having the most fun. <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't matter. It, you know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, some like big wave ripper pro or something like that. None, none of that matters. Um, yeah. It's just a great opportunity to go out and 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 be in nature. Yeah, I've only tried it a couple of times, but I like the culture around it. And I have, you know, heroes. There's, I'm sure you do like Yvonne Chouinard, who was a surfer. So absolutely. Um, so last question, my friend, Ryan Black, what what pearls of wisdom might you give to people who are trying to either start their career or mid-career, later career about finding that either purpose-driven brand or purpose-driven career path? One is there's a saying, I guess I'm big on saying there's a pay, there's a saying that says the passion is in the risk, you know, and, and I've found that in, in my life that, um, you know, when you, when you go out and, and, and try new things that might be risky, that you get that reward, you get that satisfaction in it. And if that's your personality, um, if that's not your personality, it's tough to be an entrepreneur, I think. But if that's your personality and you want to go for it, then, you know, just just do it. Um, my football coach used to say, we make mistakes at full speed. And it's, and it's interesting. So so be bold, you know, be bold. And, and you know, I, I think I read once that experience comes from, uh, or learning comes from experience and from, uh, mistakes. And so I knew that I had no experience um, in my business. And so I went out there and started making mistakes because you make mistakes and you learn, you know, they always say you learn yeah. more from your mistakes yeah. than your whatever. And so getting out there and uh, making mistakes and, and, and doing it at full speed, which means that, you know, you go out there today and you make three mistakes by noon right? You just learned a bunch as opposed to kind of sitting back and being like, hmm, indecision, what should I do that? You know, I'll, I'll make, you know, me personally, I'll make three mistakes before breakfast, you know, and, and learn and, and, and all that. So that's, that that's one. Um, that's very helpful. Let's just say pearl, pearl of, of wisdom. Um, you know, people always say, do, do, do what you love. And then you'll never feel like you'll, you know, you're working a day. Yeah. Um, that's easier to say sometimes than to do when one is really young, but I appreciate your pearls of wisdom. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank Ryan Black for being with us today. He's the CEO and co-founder of Samazon. They have basically brought the super fruit, super food acai to the United States and the rest of the world. So Ryan, thank you and come back. Thanks, Toby. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at T Usnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing the caring economy with your friends and colleagues.